Hello everyone and welcome to episode 287 of So You Want To Be A Writer. My name's Valerie Koo and I'm CEO of the Australian Writers' Centre where you'll find writing courses and a wonderful writing community. And I'm here with my co-host, Alison Tate, also known as A.L. Tate, author of the popular Mapmaker Chronicles and Adaban Cipher book series. How are you, Al? I'm bracing myself. Why Valerie? bracing? Why, bracing. Why? You just why? imagine me like up against the wall, braced. Yeah, right. Um, because the school holidays are oh, starting yep. as we speak. Mm. And, you know, like I know there's people out there that just wait for me to start talking about this and it helps them to reassess where they are in their year because, you know, mm. every every quarter we have the, oh, it's school holidays. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so every quarter it's more often. It's four times a year. Um, anyway, so that's where I'm up to. I'm just preparing myself for the incoming children situation. Mm. And meanwhile, I'm very happy at school holidays. <laughs> oh, you the, can't say that every – you cannot say that every single time. Yes, I can because no, the can't. four boys from across the road already went on holidays. Like I'm sure their school has not broken up yet, but they went on holidays definitely at least a week ago because I've had peace and quiet for a week. Oh, and um, Some schools yes. did break up last week. Oh, did they? Okay. Yeah, well, yeah. a lot of the so, private schools broke up last week. Right. Well, they yep. went away. So happy, happy, joy, joy. Happy, happy, joy, joy. Those poor mm. boys, they're just going about their lives not knowing that their neighbour across the road is <laughs> desperately waiting for them to leave. <laughs> oh, they're perfectly fine boys, but, you know, they are four boys, so I do mm. like it when it's school holidays. Anyway, mm. let's move on. What else is happening in Al's world apart from the bracing for the onslaught? Well, excitingly, I do have a moment of excitement here oh, that we yes. should all just prepare ourselves for because, you know, they don't come up that we're often, bra- people. We're bracing Are ourselves. Are you all braced? Yeah, good. Yes. Um, well, I'm packing my bags mm-hmm. uh, because I am heading off um, very soon, not quite yet, but very soon. It takes me a little while to get myself organised because I've got a lot of stuff to sort, but I'm heading off to the Sunday Voices Youth Literature Festival. Nice. Um, and I so I leave home on the 16th. And I don't come back until the twentieth, um, mm-hmm. and I will be in um, Mackay up on the uh, up in North, you know North Queensland, yeah. soaking up a few rays, or not really, because <laughs> I'm going to be pretty busy. I've got like serious numbers of sessions to do. Is um, if you, you would soak up rays? No, I don't. I like to. I like to. Do you know what? I just like to pretend that I could be someone who soaked up rays. But I mean, if anyone's ever seen me, you will know that the the moment a ray arrives on my skin, I end up with a yeah. freckle. So I'm not yeah. soaking up rays on any level, really. Mm. Um, I will be hiding under a hat and a long sleeve shirt. Let's be realistic about this. Mm. However, I will be, you know, in Queensland where people are wearing bikinis, even if I'm not. <laughs> that sounds like fun. Are you going to pack the bikini just in case? No, I'm okay. not going to pack the bikini. I'm going to be in the authorial blazer. That's But it'll be too hot for the authorial blazer. No, I have lightweight authorial blazers. Oh, okay. You've got, right. to, have, you've got to have authorial bla- I've realised this over years. Okay, so here's something I saw this week. So you know how you have Facebook memories? You know how they pop up and they show you what you were doing five years ago, to you, much to your horror? Well, in actual fact, one popped up on my Facebook memories this week um, mm. 
and it wasn't to my horror because it was a post by Ashet Australia and it mm-hmm. was obviously my first visit to the publishing house because oh. um, I remember going and I went to talk to the sales team about the book and where I got the idea from. First time I ever done anything like that and it was quite a momentous occasion in my existence. Mm. Um, but I just want you to know that the authorial blazer, the original authorial blazer, that dark blue sort of one that I have that you mm. often see, there it was, first public appearance oh. five years ago at the at, at the Ashet sales thing. Not only was the authorial blazer it there, but also the authorial scarf. So I was fully wow. in authorial mode from the beginning. But, but did now, did you know they were the? Could, did you know they were the authorial blazer and scarf, or did they just? Oh yeah, no, and no, no, oh, no. You no, did I it bought, on purpose. I bought them okay, specifically for the occasion because yeah, I. Yeah. You know, I had been at home in my tracksuit pants for about 10 years at that point, so one has to step up for these moments in one's life. So I stepped up into my authorial blazer. But now I have, to go back to your original question, now I have a wardrobe in varying weights of authorial blazers and also the the authorial event jacket, a sort of coat, which I got to whip out at Vivid, which will be coming out again for a couple of occasions in the near future. We should be, you know, thinking of the authorial capsule wardrobe. That's exactly what we need. But you know what? Mine will never, ever have an authorial bikini in it. But <laughs> other people may wish to discover themselves an authorial bikini. All right. While you are all waiting with bated breath um, for the authorial <laughs> capsule wardrobe or for Alison in a bikini. Actually, we should so on. do that. Let's do one of those little posts. You know how you, you know, people put little little pants, a little, let's do oh, that. Yes. Maybe we could get yes. Nikki at styling you to do it for yes. us. Yes. Okay. Flip us up an authorial capsule wardrobe. All right. Perfect. I love it. All right. Um, all right. Let's move on to a post that is actually on your blog, <laughs> um, but it's a, it's a guest post. So what's it about, Al? It is about, okay, so, yes, I have to think about this for a minute because, of course, you've totally, I'm sorry, I'm off making capsule You're still on the authority. I'm fully making capsule wardrobes in my head. writing the email to Nikki as we speak. Totally sidetracked. Oh, yes, so this week. So one of the things that I do, and I don't know if if all of my um, author friends out there that listen to this know about this, is that with the Your Kids Next Read Facebook group, um, I have a little – because we have a very strict no self-promo rule in that group um, for lots and lots of reasons, which I think I've explained a thousand times to a million people. But Mm – you know, you can't promote yourself. Like, sorry, but it's not the space for that. It's a space to talk about books and do other things, but it's not where you go, look me, buy my book. But what I do is I have an an author spotlight. So uh, members of the group who are authors write, you, you know, can write guest posts for my blog and I'll put them up and share them across all the places. So I put out an invitation to do that again recently. And it was taken up by Dave Lees, who is the author of a children's um book and there's a new one coming uh, and it's called the Institute of Fantastical Inventions and he wrote me this great little post called write what you don't know yet Mm. Um, because one of the most common um, pieces of advice as Dave says for right it's it's attributed to Mark Twain but then everything in the known universe is attributed to Mark Twain so no one's exactly sure Mm. um, is write what you know there's this thing that you should write what you know about Um, And he, you know, it's about, you know, authenticity and understanding what's going on and and all of those sorts of things, which is why you would write what you know. Mm. But as uh, Dave points out, he wants to say that it's a contrary piece of advice, but his theory is that you should write what you don't yet know. Um, So he started up 
he started off writing, wanting to write a novel for children in a genre that he grew up reading and loves, which is fantasy. So that's what he knows. Um, and then he thought, you know, he didn't really sort of, he couldn't think of what new thing he had to say about magic mm. and elves, um, mm. those kinds of things. Um, and it occurred to him as he was kind of going through this process of thinking about what what am I going to write about, that um, that one thing that is very, very close to being fantastical and wondrous in its capacity for change and transformation was science. Now, yes. the thing was that science was not his strong suit. Um, so he set out to explore it. He went to have a look at what were the things, the lack of knowledge that he had that made science seem magical to him. And he decided he would write a novel where anything could be invented you know, where science scientists could create fantastical things for people. And that's basically what he did. He So he would take a scientific theory or field, research it, and then turn it on its head. And he would use just like a kernel of that scientific truth and then stretch it to make it fantastical and, and comedic. So he used the things he didn't know, he researched them, and then he turned them on their head to make this, you know, institute of fantastical inventions. And I just think that's quite an interesting approach too because I do, I have to say that um, when I write my uh, novels, when like when I was writing The Outer Band Cipher, for example, like I knew a bit about um, illuminated manuscripts and a bit about monasteries and a bit about medieval history, but I didn't know mm. a huge amount. But what I did was the things that I did, I would write and when I got to something I didn't know, I would research it further and then that would allow me a jumping off point for the next section of my story. So I think this notion that you have to only write your own experience or only write the things that you that you already know and understand can be a bit limiting. Um, mm. I do feel like it's a good idea to use your use what you know to jump off and into other worlds or into other experiences. Um, but I just thought it was a cute little post and I thought it was a great idea because when you start looking at where the areas in which you're ignorant, that's where you start to find magic. Because if you don't know it, chances are other people don't know it. And when you're learning it and asking dumb questions on it, we've always talked about the importance of the dumb question. The best mm. way to, to best way to make a complicated subject accessible, is to ask the dumb questions and then yes. use that information to create a simpler explanation. So anyway, I just thought it was a it was a great little post, and um, just like to say thanks to Dave for writing that one for me. Yeah, thanks, Dave. And I just think that the name of his upcoming book, The Institute of Fantastical Inventions, is just so intriguing. I mean, you just want to know what the fantastical inventions are, don't you? Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. It's very cool. But it'll be released later this year by New Holland Publishers. Yeah, the sequel is released the later sequel. this year. Yep. Yeah, so the first one is out and then there's a sequel coming later this year um, with, um, with, as you say, New Holland. Yeah, very cool. All right, so there's also a couple of publishing opportunities, right? There are. Yeah. So it seems to be a bit of a time of year yeah, where there's is, a lot of competition, a lot of publishing yeah. opportunities, and I just thought that I would bring these to the attention of our listeners. Um, so the first one that I came across uh, is one, um, it's a submission opportunity for an anthology called Signs of Life. 
and it's an upcoming anthology themed around first and secondhand experiences of illness and caregiving. So it's quite specific. Um, and uh, it's uh, two to 3,000 words of prose, either fiction or creative nonfiction, etc. Um, the entry needs to be written from the point of view of you know, a patient, a caregiver, kin, family, friend, something to do with um, with sort of illness and uh, caregiving. And submissions mm. close on the 31st of December 2019. So heaps of time. You have um, time. Heaps of time. And so if this is something that, you know, that is, is something that you write about or that you can write about or that you have written about, definitely worth having a look at the, um, um, at the submission uh, opportunity. And we will obviously put the link in the show notes for that one. Um, And the second one that I came across um, is for an anthology, new stories for um, growing up Indigenous in Australia. Yeah. And uh, this one is for stories that are 800 to 1500 words in length. Uh, The story can be about yourself or a family member. Um, And they're seeking nonfiction pieces in any style or voice. Uh, so, you know, I think that, again, if that's something that you can write about, this comes from, um, you know, uh, as an, uh, they, if you, you might remember, we spoke to Dr. Anita Heiss last year about mm. her um, anthology. And this one has is basically as a result of an overwhelming, you know, volume of stories submitted to Black Ink for consideration in that print collection. These ones will be um, online. So um, we will put the link in the show notes for that as well if you would like to um, have further examination of whether or not something that you've written or can write will fit within their criteria. Wonderful. And, of course, you can find our show notes and all of these links at soyouwanttobeariter.com.au. The other thing you can find at soyouwanttobeariter.com.au slash book is our book called yes. So You Want to Be a Writer, <laughs> How to Be Creative uh, While You Still Have a Day Job, which means that even if you're still in a day job and you're thinking, you know, I might give this writing caper a go, but I'm not ready to take the plunge. I still, am, you know, want the security of my day job. This book is ideal for you because it's, you know, not really for school leavers, but more so for people who are already working and who are thinking they want to flex their creative muscle in some other way. And it's a great step-by-step guide, if I say so myself, because it was written by (laughs) Alison and myself, on exactly how to do that. And uh, you can grab it from Amazon or also from our website at soyouwantobearwriter.com.au slash book. Oh, and I just want to say thank you very much to those people who have uh, put reviews of the book on Amazon and on Goodreads. And also there have been a couple of people who have written uh, blog post reviews about it. Um, So just, you know, thank you so much for that. It helps us out so much. If you've read the book and you've loved it, please um, consider a review on Amazon or or Goodreads because um, not only does it assist us with, uh, with actually, you know, getting the book out there further, but it makes our day it really does so it I mean really I was so excited for the um the, to see the review by Di Linz on Amazon earlier um yes. earlier this week and it, it was just you know make this the first book on writing that you buy and uh you know Thank how to make an author's day right there <laughs> absolutely all right let's move on to our competition this week our competition we have three copies of the new novel called Six Minutes by uh, Petronella McGovern, who is a graduate of the Australian Writers' Centre. 
and it is a cracker. It's an unputdownable thriller for fans of Leanne Moriarty and Caroline Overington. In fact, Leanne Moriarty has high praise about the book on the front cover. If you were gripped watching The Cry, you'll be hooked on six minutes. How can a child disappear from under the care of four playgroup mums? One Thursday morning, Lexi Parker dashes to the shop for biscuits, leaving Bella in the safe care of the other mums in the playgroup. Six minutes later, Bella is gone. What happened in those six minutes and where is Bella? The clock is ticking. This gripping novel will keep you guessing to the very last twist. Now, if you would like a copy, make sure you enter the competition. Just go to writerscentre.com.au slash win. Entries close on the 8th of July. That's writerscentre.com.au slash win. Now, this is very exciting and we will be talking to Petronella in an upcoming episode because she, Petronella did, has done several courses at the Australian Writers' Centre, including the six-month Write Your Novel class. And it was in that six-month Write Your Novel program that uh, she and her, a bunch of her fellow classmates, I think, um, think there were about six of them all together, they kept on meeting and five of the six of them from that from that little group have book deals. Wow, that's um, amazing. Yeah. Five out of six. Yep. So we're very proud of them and very proud of the Write Your Novel program. So um, because, yeah, and this is, you know, one of the books. So very exciting. Anyway, let's move on to are you ready for the word of the week, Al? Oh, gosh, Val. Yes, I'm so ready. Yes, Look at me. So Prepared. Excellent. Okay. It's menacious. That's M for Mary, I-N for Nelly, A-C-I-O-U-S, minacious. Do you know what it is? No. Okay. So it's... <laughs> <laughs> Frankly, no. <laughs> I don't. It sounds like a combination of miniature and tenacious. Mm, it does. Yeah. I love those combination words, you know, like Bernoffi. Yeah. Which oh. I had last night, by the way. So Why? Excited. What are you rewarding yourself for? No, I went out for dinner with uh, well, our mutual friend Marina. Um, oh, yes. Uh, we went out for dinner and we both quite enjoyed Bonoffi, so we shared one. It was oh. so good. Anyway, sorry, back to Menacious. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, yeah, yes. you, it might sound like a combination of miniature and tenacious, which might be a good adjective for a determined ant, but it's not. It means menacing or threatening. So you might say... The schoolyard bully had a menacious way of speaking. See, that's why that's why English is so confusing. Why would it not be menacious? Like, given it comes from menacing, why is it not menacious? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Hmm. Because the word would be because menacing. it's confusing. <laughs> yes. Because it's confusing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Be. <laughs> All right. Why would right. you not just say menacing? Because you might want to say menacious. Okay, sorry. Yep. <laughs> this is, see, oh, this is why word of the week gets me every time, doesn't it? Because I'm just mm. like, why would you do that? Okay. Because <laughs> it's fun. Okay, good. All right. Yep. All over Let's it. move on. Who is our writer in residence this week? Well, this week our writer in residence is none other than James O'Loughlin and we had a very, very good chat. Now I have to read you the full intro here. Okay. 
uh, because I did not do it at the time of the interview. So we, and you now have to prepare yourself for our best radio voice. And here we go. Are you ready? Yes. James O'Loughlin is a television and radio host, an entertaining and experienced corporate speaker, and the author of nine books, including nonfiction, self-help, and five books for children. His latest book is Very Popular Me, Volume 2 in the New Kid series. And so now we must welcome James to the program. Welcome to the program, James. Thank you. It's great to be talking to you. Excellent. All right, now we're going to go back to the beginning. What was the first book that you ever had published and why did you write it? Uh, the first book I ever had published was a slim children's book called Andy's Secret Weapon and it was the early 2000s uh, and it was I was approached to write a children's book and I didn't know if I could, but... Um, it was only 5,000 words. It was for the uh, Hotter Headlines something series. I can't even remember. Um, but it was about a kid who hated soccer because he was bad at it and then worked out that he could find his place in the team by being really good at strategy and tactics, even if he wasn't that good at kicking. Ah. And was this drawn from personal experience, James? Uh, yeah, a little bit. I wasn't a great sports person <laughs> at school and I often felt a bit left out um uh but you know i thought that could be a way in for a you know for a kid to find his role in the team and uh find out you know we're all good at something aren't we and you just sometimes have to struggle to find out what it is and if you're playing a sport you think the thing you have to be good at is something physical but maybe it could be something else something you know mental and tactical like it was for little andy so when um, when they approached you to write the book, this obviously came out of your uh, TV presenter work, did it? Yeah, was I guess why the so. approach yeah. was made? Yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. so um, when you were approached to write the book, and you had, had you ever written, you know, long form or even short form fiction prior to that? Were, were you someone who started writing as a kid, or or was it just a completely yeah. new experience for you? Uh, well, I'd, I'd always wanted to. I grew up as a only child and reading was very, very important to me. Um, I used to do it all the time and uh, I always wanted to, more than anything else, write a book, but I always thought it would be too hard and I always felt that the others... I kept I kept wanting to do it but getting distracted by things that were easier, like being a lawyer and stand-up <laughs> comedy and being on radio and TV. Um, but I did have, at that time like 40 or 50,000 words of a, um, of a crime novel written that um, remains, <laughs> remains unpublished. Um, well, I haven't finished it and I, I never finished it. But I had, you know, I, I had had a fairly significant go by that stage without having finished anything. And when someone said, you know, you can write this for kids and it'll be 5,000 words, I thought, well, that sounds much easier. <laughs> That sounds doable. <laughs> yeah, and it was. And so, was that a was that a bit of a process for you in the sense of well, did you just sort of write those five thousand words and that's pretty much what they published, or did you have to do some work on you know structure and all of that kind of stuff with an editor? Oh yeah, of course, of course. In every every book, I've done um, lots of that, and yeah, I, I always think when I send it to a publisher, 
good, it's perfect, and then you realise once they look at it and give notes that you initially uh, reject and then about an hour later realise they're very sensible um, how imperfect your, your your book was. And even if what, what you sent to the... What I sent to the publisher was an eighth draft, um, you know, it's still nowhere near finished. So each of the books I've written have changed a lot from sending to the publisher to being published with the, you know, with the help of, of great editors, yeah. So your books for adults, and I'm quite interested in this because, as you said, you started out in law and you even said you'd begun writing a, a crime yeah. novel, um, which kind of I thought I was wondering about that, well, you know, that kind of makes sense. But your, your books for adults tend to be in that sort of non-fiction memoir, self-help, you know, useful guide kind of stuff. And then your children's fiction is, you know, everything from kind of hilarious fantasy to, you know, straightforward contemporary funny books. So why do you write fiction for kids and not for adults? Oh, well, I I will and I am ah. <laughs> and I've tried. Um, uh, so I my next book, I hope, the one I'm working on now, will be a novel for adults. Mm. Um, but I, I, I started off thinking writing for children, because, I, I, I mean, I don't know if there's a common theme or not in the writers you talk to, but I, I find writing stories incredibly hard. It's very satisfying, but incredibly hard. And I started off with what I now realise is a misguided notion that writing for children might be easier. Now, I don't think it is easier. I think you've got to be just as clear structurally. I just, I don't think you can, you know, um, just write some amusing things with a, uh, with a, uh, you know, a, a, a nice character and some big monsters and kids will buy it. It's, it's got to be really tight and really good. Um, uh, to, to get kids to turn the page. But that's the notion I started with, that writing for kids would be easier. And also, when I started writing sort of uh, my last crop of novels for kids, which is about 2010, 2011, that's, by then I had three girls who would have been aged eight, five and two. Mm. And I thought, wouldn't it be great to write a book I could read to them? So that really was a very strong motivation. And... Um, We've gone through the process with each of my kids' books of them reading it or me reading it to them. And uh, happily, that's been just as great an experience as I hoped it would be. It's really, uh, you know, very worthwhile. Even if the books don't sell one copy, doing that's fantastic. Do you, um, do they, are they, are they like a little stable of beta readers for you? Like, are you reading them manuscripts and drafts or are they reading the finished thing? Are you getting told yeah, what well, the bits are, like I do? Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. They're very <laughs> kind in that they let me, or they read the finished thing when it arrives, but there's at least one, one draft when I think I'm nearly ready to send, to send to the publisher, um, I, I read to them and when they get bored, I, um, you know, I, I punish them. <laughs> I, I I take the note. You know, it's great opportunity to get some feedback from your potential audience, which are, you know, my kids. Um, and if they're bored, then then they're bored. You know, one and I've got to fix it. When, when I was reading, I'm not very good at description. I was reading a, a bit where I had described a forest. I, I, I'm a very good description because I, I'm very impatient, and when I read books with lots of description, I always kind of skip it and um 
my one of my kids, uh, but I, you know, painstakingly spent a page and a half setting up this forest, and I, you know, tried really hard and found found it very difficult. I, and and I just want to say it's a forest, but I sort of should do more than that. My daughter Nina just went. Yeah, I was reading this description. <laughs> Dad, it's a forest. We get it, okay? Forest, tree, move on. <laughs> move on. And, uh, and it was good because I realised that maybe my tendency to not write that much description isn't a bad one. And also, you know, I couldn't say, no, no, you have to enjoy my description of the forest because I spent a long time doing it. If, if your audience tells you they're bored, you've got to fix it. So, yeah, it's great having them as that resource. Fantastic. So, okay, let's talk about how you go writing a first draft then for one of your novels for children. Mm. Do you start with a situation, a character? Is it some kind of funny little thing that strikes you? How? What's the process like for you? Um, for example, my first uh, long book novel for kids is called The Adventures of Sir Roderick the Not Very Brave. And all it started with was the idea of a cowardly knight. And I thought that was kind of interesting because a knight, you know, in a fantasy world, their job is to go and save the kingdom. But if you're a coward, that means the last thing you want to do is to save the kingdom. So I started there with just a situation, a cowardly knight. And then every uh, every bit of information you have suggests more questions. So, for example, a cowardly knight saving the kingdom suggests these questions. Why would a knight be a coward? He must have been made uh, a knight. He wouldn't have picked it, so you have to work that out. What's he saving the kingdom from? Uh, Why is he going to be able to do it if he's a coward? Where does he go? What does he do? So as soon as you start with something, then you've got all, all, all these unanswered questions and you just basically work through trying to answer them. And then when you've answered them, you've got a whole heap of more uh, questions to answer. And I feel like you just keep doing that. Just keep, um, you know, writing yourself into unknown situations and then and then trying to fire, shine a torch around and find out more about where you've gotten yourself. You sound like you're building a case. You realise that, don't you? And then you ask these questions and then you get more questions and then you need answers to those questions. Yeah. It's, it's, um, it's, but it's a very logical process for you then from that perspective. Well, I, I guess so. I mean, the most important thing for me in a book uh, is that, well, two things. It's got to be entertaining, but also the story has to make sense. And it's got to, you've got to be able to stress test um, the story. Because, I mean, I think we've all you know, seen, seen films or read books where at some point something happened that probably you don't really understand why it happened. And for me, it it kind of, if I lose faith in the story, then I wonder why I'm reading the book and I often um, I often put it down. So, yeah, I, I do, I mean, you know, I like putting lots of jokes and entertainment and um, interesting obstacles in my books, but I also like the story you know, to to be something that could have happened. So are you doing all of this work on the story before you start writing or are you doing it as you're writing? Are those questions and is that process like, okay, I've got an idea, I'm going to start writing and see if I can answer yeah. the questions as I go? Is it that sort of more of that sort of discovery aspect? Uh, no, it's all mixed in together. I, I, I think it's like, a, say you're really hungry and you come across an apple tree, you're just going to grab the easiest apple to grab. Um, like if I, so say I had this idea for a cowardly knight trying to save the kingdom. 
I'd just write down whatever I could about him, maybe start writing the story um, and wonder where it would go and then, you know, have a lot of unanswered questions and kind of write them down. Well, what? how's this going to, why would he be a knight? You know, where's he going? What's that? And keep asking him. But then maybe I'd have a kind of a clear idea of something that's going to happen later. Probably a good, a good example is my latest um book the new kid unpopular me which is uh which is number two in a series they kind of come together those books as as a series of jokes like i i I want there to be two or three laughs at least on every page and it's kind of they're vaguely based on my own childhood growing up in canberra at least that's the starting point and i just try and think back to everything funny or embarrassing that happened and then make them all funnier and more embarrassing. And then when I've got like 20 or 30 incidents like that, see how I can string them together as a story. And then as that goes on, find more of a story within them because a book can't just be 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 hilarious incidents. They have to be strung together as a story. So I've kind of done that one backwards. I've started with the, with the incidents and then create the plot from them, whereas the other ones I've kind of done forwards, if that makes sense. No, that does make sense. And it was a question I was going to ask you, actually, was, you know, whether you... Because, obviously, the the humour of those books... um, So I gave the books, uh, both of them, um, Unpopular Me and Very Popular Me, to... um, And this is the new kid series, um, to my 12-year-old, who who loved it, you know, because, obviously... Oh, great. Yeah, yeah. So Sam's 11... Sam's trying to be popular um, yeah. and he's sort of happily reading book two right now but he reviewed the book for me for um we have a he and his brother have a book review site called bookboy.com.au and he reviewed the book and the thing that made me laugh about it was that he described the humor as laughing on the inside humor which I really like oh, yeah. it's that I kind of send me that review. I read yeah, it. yeah 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 um, which yeah. I really liked but so my question with that was you know do you you know, as you said, you, you know, you came up with 20 or 30, 30 jokes, so to speak, and then you put the story around them. But is that the way that you go? So with Roderick, you didn't work like that? No, no, that was more story-based. That was more, you know, what can happen in the story? Where can where can he go? What are his obstacles? How can he, you know, find the bravery to do the things that needs to be done? How can I twist everything halfway through the book so that everything you thought you knew actually might be premised on a on on a lie so i guess that was probably more traditional um plot creation in 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 that you know i i mean when i was growing up i I, and still i love those books that two-thirds of the way through there's some revelation that make you think make you think oh my god that's everything I thought about that character is wrong. They're a, they're not a baddie, they're a goodie, or they're not a goodie, they're a baddie or something. Yeah. And so I, I, I've tried to do that with some, um, with the three longer kids' novels I've written because uh, I love that. Um, but, yeah, so, so there's a lot of plot construction. And it doesn't, I mean, it comes very, very gradually and you go up a lot of false, you know, follow a lot of false leads that don't really know lead anywhere uh, uh, until you actually find the thing that is surprising but is also coherent and works for the mm. story. Mm. Well, that's what I try and do anyway. But the, the the other interesting thing, though, is that the humour is present 
I mean, even in the in the other books, which are not a series of jokes strung together, um, the humour is present. And so, do you think that stems? Is that just your natural writing voice? Like that's just your? Are you looking for the funny in things? I mean, you've got a cowardly knight, which is always going to be you know fairly amusing yeah, from yeah, the beginning, yeah. right? Yeah, no, um, I think you've got you to had look a talking for it. dog as well, right? In one of your. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so. Yeah, no, I, th- I think you've got to look for it. It's just like, in, you know, I used to be a stand up comedian, and, and sometimes I'd teach people public speaking, and they say, How do you be funny? And I say, Well, just keep looking for it. Just keep, yeah, everything you say, think, is it possible to kind of put, twist this a bit so it's a bit funnier and less straight? And, you know, you do that with your book. You can write a, a scene that is a very straight, you know, uh, a person goes in for a job interview and there's certain things that need to be accomplished in that scene to move your story forward. But And you can write it straight, the first draft, but then you say, okay, how can I make it more interesting? How can I make it funnier? And if you look hard enough, there's, you know, there's always jokes to find or little funny situations or something in the you know, if it's someone interviewing someone for a job interview, um, you know, there's a power imbalance you can um, exploit to find humour or, you know, maybe one of them's got a bit of tomato sauce from lunch on their chin that's preoccupying the other one. Or There's always, you know, if it's treated as something you're always looking for, you'll find something. So you can edit the funniness in, basically. Like, it doesn't necessarily have to come from, you know, your yeah, natural so. writing voice in the first place. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. I mean, you know, probably if you're writing a story, yeah, like at the moment I'm writing a, 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 a you know, a novel, a book for grown-ups. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, but I find myself writing scenes and saying, okay, that's, that's the first draft and it's functional. That does what I need it to do. But how can I make it? you know, better? How can I make it more interesting for the reader? How can I maybe give them a few laughs along the way? Um, and yeah, go, going back and doing another pass at it for that purpose. So yeah, I think you're right what you said about editing it in. Okay. And so when you're writing, you know, for children, how much do you rely on personal experience for what kids find funny, as in, you know, drawing on things that you found funny or your own experiences? And how much would be research from sort of observing kids and other books in the marketplace? Ah, oh, a hundred and zero. It will all be my own. But I really think, I mean, you know, I have three kids at home and so I guess I observe their sense of humour every day. But I, I really think the um, the differences in the sense of humour between a 12-year-old and a 50-year-old are, are overemphasized. Uh, funny is funny. Like we have, and I know lots of families who have, sitcoms they watch together and they all laugh. So yeah. things like, you know, made for grown-ups like Brooklyn Nine-Nine or, or Parks and Recreation. Yeah. And, you know, my youngest, who's 11, and she watched those shows when she was a bit younger than that, you know, her favourite show is The Office, The American Office, yeah. uh, which is, you know, deadpan, quite sophisticated humour. And, um, and I think that's very common, particularly these days now that, you know, the Netflix revolution has allowed it, anyone to watch anything. Yeah, uh, yeah that, that, that humour is, humor, there's only one real type of humour and that's funny humour, I think. <laughs> it's, you know, you can break it down lots of different ways, but something's either funny or it's not. And if it's funny, 
you know, a seventy-year-old will laugh, and ideally an eight-year-old will laugh. I mean, there's a bit of a difference, of course, but I think it's overrated. Fair enough. All right, so switching gears a little bit, you have a very busy, multifaceted career. Like you've got a fair bit of stuff going on there. How do you make the time to write your books? Are you someone who sets aside time every day, or how do you go about it? Um, yeah, well, I try and set things up so there is time. Uh, when I first started, uh, when I wrote my first novel for kids in about 2010-11, so Roderick, I just, I just, I just made it one rule, and that was uh, you've got to write for an hour a day, mm-hmm. and. Um, the way I decided to do it was just not to watch television because after we put all the kids to sleep, we used to kind of collapse in front of the TV for an hour and, you know, you often watch something that was, because um, I think that was before Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> we just watch, back in the dark ages, we just watch whatever was on and usually I'd just channel hopper. So I just said, okay, between nine and be pretty stupid to write a kid's book and take time away from being with my kids. That would mm. be kind of mm. dumb. So I'm going to do it after I'm going to go to bed and I'm going to do it for an hour, nine till ten or something. And, uh, and I, I, I'm a big believer in rules. That is, if you make a rule, you don't have to agonise about whether you do it or not. You don't have to think, should I write my book now? Am I too tired? Gee, I had a really busy day. You don't have to go through any of that, that kind of self-talk and negotiating, you just say, well, the rule is I've got to do it for an hour a day, and you haven't done it for an hour a day, so that's the next thing. Um, and, <laughs> well, you're you know, tough sometimes yourself. Well, no, I, I think it's actually easier. I think it's really tough on yourself to continue to negotiate about whether you should do something or not. Yeah. You know, to say, should I write now? Should I not write now? You know, I'm too tired. I should watch some crap telly because I'm sure that's better for me. And um, uh, It's just, it's, it's just easier to have a rule and to follow it. That's how I, I get things done anyway um, because I think all that, it just turns off all the arguments you have with yourself. So that's, that's kind of how I did that. And, and now I just try. I mean, I can ride anywhere. I ride on planes and taxis whenever. Um, so I just do it whenever I've got nothing else on. Which is, you know, and, and, and yeah, yeah, and, and try and be. It's also, you know, the other things I do, uh, are all it's a word capricious maybe they 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 come and they go and you think something's going to happen and then it doesn't and the great thing about having writing as a backstop is like i have this job um that suddenly falls through or gets cancelled or you know whatever and then i think oh that's bad but i've got more time for writing so it kind of is a uh, <laughs> emotionally stabilizes me too in that you know, there's always there's always someone that needs me, even if it's just um, that document on my computer that might <laughs> one day turn into a book. Um, so you have a long-standing interest in innovation and invention, um, having mm. presented television shows, written books, etc. What is it that draws you to that subject? Um, well, I'm kind of fascinated by how we do things better. Um, by how we, I guess, whatever job is, you've got the choice to turn up and do it the way it was done yesterday. And, and a lot of us do that a lot. And for that kind of works most of the time. Or to think about how we can do it better. And I, I find whenever I'm writing a book, every morning I'm confronted by a blank page, which is 
every ride is terror because there's nothing on it and you don't know if it's going to be on it. But what what it does, it kind of forces you to be innovative. Like if at the end of the day, the page is full, it's because you've created something that may be good, may be terrible, but you've created something. So it forces you out into the unknown. You can't write any sort of book without without doing that. And I, I kind of work with organizations now trying to they all know it's interesting they they all know and everyone who works in an organization in corporate australia knows that the pace of change is really fast and if mm. they keep doing things the same way they're going to go kaput but they so they know that intellectually that they keep getting um they they keep getting uh sidetracked by doing the urgent over the important so you know the urgent is whatever crisis happens today whatever problems happen today and they're all important but they have difficulty finding time to invest in working out how to do things better for tomorrow and you know i think that's a mindset thing just as i i said to you that i find rules really easy i try and tell people at work the same thing you know just make it a rule that five minutes every day you've got to think about how to do things better mm-hmm. it's just one percent of your time um so, again, I think good intentions aren't very useful, whether you're writing or, or you want to think about how to make a business better. Good intentions are great at a conference, but they fade as soon as you get back to work and have 87 emails to answer. So I try and give them, you know, really clear methods to help them do that. All right. Well, on that, you know, the media is full of stories about how we need to teach our kids to think creatively and innovatively for the future. Yeah. Do you have any tips for parents who might be listening on ways that they can encourage their kids to do that, to think creatively? How do you teach someone to think creatively? Oh, I think it's natural. You know, I think, you know, our job for the first five years of our life was basically to be creative and innovative. We just ran around making stuff up, you know. <laughs> we'd have a stick and we'd create this wonderful game um, game out of it. So I don't think kids have to be taught. They just have to be given the opportunity to. Uh, these days, when a kid says, I'm bored, parents tend to cluster around. But if you pretend you can't hear them say that... Um, and uh, then probably you'll find that in five minutes they're doing something creative because they've had, you know, they've had to. It's easier to play on an iPad than it is to invent a game. But if you can't play on an iPad, then the only option is to invent a game. So I, I, I guess it gives them, you know, and I'm not the first to have thought of this, um, give them space to. But, but, you know, like I tell adults, when I talk to them about innovation, none of us, none of us don't have the ability. We might be able to practice, but we all can be creative and innovative. Um, and the first few years of our life proves that. Mm. Do you think that, like you said earlier, that you you know you were an only child and you read a lot? Do you think that your interest in all of this stuff stems from having to have entertained and amused yourself? Yeah, that's a uh, uh, that. Makes sense to me, definitely. Yeah. Excellent. Well done. I'm glad we got that sorted. <laughs> what do I owe you? All my life now. I'll send my statement. A, <laughs> as a continuous straight line that's fallen into place. No, that, yeah, that does make a lot of sense. <laughs> All right. Um, so we're going to finish up today. It's been an absolutely lovely talking to you. We're going to finish up today you with our, um, our final questions, which is always 
your three top tips for writers. And I am, of course, expecting innovative and creative tips, James, so no pressure. Mm. Pressure. Uh, Okay. So the first tip, if you want to be a writer, is start somewhere with a tiny little thing. Start with a situation. Uh, There's a knock on the door. Uh, A kid walks to school and sees a big hole. Kid comes home and his parents are gone. Just start with something. And then there'll be all sorts of stuff you don't know. So, so find out. So if someone knocks on the door, who is it? Friend or foe? What does the kid do? Does, he, uh, does she run away or does she answer the door? If she answers the door, what happens? So just keep asking those questions. And the good thing is you can't be wrong mm-hmm. when you answer any of them. Whatever you say is right. And if you find you've written yourself into a corner you can't get out of, then you just back up. So the first one, start with the situation. Second one is be cruel to your characters. So keep make, making things worse for, for them. Uh, don't kill them or else your story might be over unless it's a story, ghost story. Um, but just think about what's the worst possible thing that can help, that can um, happen to them. And don't, don't worry about getting them out of a situation at first. You just get them into lots and lots of trouble. You work out a way um, how to get out of it later on. So just keep, you know, keep raising mistakes and keep making things unpleasant for them. And the third one, and this is probably uh, the hardest one, is, um, well, this two, can I do four? Yes, I'll, do, I'll do the last two very quickly. Um, the third is try and turn off the little voice in your head that's telling you it's great and telling you it's, it's terrible. Um, uh, it, just, it just is. So we all have a, a common a little voice it's with us all the time, really, saying, that was great, that was terrible, and writing, it's really loud, that voice. Mm-hmm. That's a terrible sentence. And sometimes it's a, it's, it's, it, you know, you write a sentence at night and it tells you it's terrible, then you read it back the next morning and it tells you it's great, or vice versa. Um, so just try not to listen to the little voice, just do the work. And the fourth one is, I promise anyone listening that if you start a story and keep not stopping you will eventually finish it. The only thing you need to do to not to finish a story is to keep not stopping. If you stop, you won't finish it, but if you don't stop, eventually you will complete a story. Fantastic. And they were innovative and creative, so thank you so much oh, for those four brilliant tips. Sure. And thank you very, very much for your time. Best of luck with the amazing New Kids series. Book two is out um, now, very soon. And, um, you know, we look forward to seeing what you come up with next. Thank you. It was a great pleasure talking to you. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. Our popular course, Creative Writing Stage 1, is the perfect way to unlock your creativity and explore the world of writing. You only need a couple of hours a week and you'll learn how to create memorable characters, believable dialogue and captivating plots, all in a supportive environment in this five-week online course. Whether your goal is to write a bestseller or simply tell better stories, learn at home with your very own tutor giving you personal feedback each week. Find out more at writerscentre.com.au slash creative writing. There we go, James O'Loughlin. I mean, he's just one of those multi-talented people, isn't he? You know? 
Oh, and he's so – like, I remember going to see – like, this is a random memory, but I remember going to see him at the ABC studios. He used to do a – do you remember that? He used to have, like, a late night – like, a – he used to have a talk show kind of program type thing. Oh, yeah. Years ago. Funny. And I remember going to watch a recording of it. It was very funny. And yeah. I loved seeing behind the scenes of, you know, the, you know, the, the person who kind of gets everyone in the mood to start with and then on, on it goes. And, yeah, it was kind of – um. It was interesting. Anyway, he's a great guy, really good to talk to. And obviously very – and multi-talented. Multi-talented. Mm. We love those multi-talented ones. So apart from packing, what mm. else are you doing this week, Al? Um, what am I doing? Do you know what I'm doing? I'll tell you what I'm doing. I am going out to various sections of the Shoalhaven and I'm delivering posters because the Shoalhaven Readers and Writers Festival is on its way very, very soon with starring Jacqueline Harvey and Jack Heath and Cheryl Westenberg, who is an illustrator, and me. I'm doing a writing workshop, which is pretty much sold out already. So that's, you know, like I may have to do a second one. We're not sure yet. Um, so, yeah, I'm, we're putting up posters all over the place and, you know, promoting it. And, you know, so if you see a poster, take a photo of it and, you know, share yes. it with me. Or, um, or come, come to the festival, 26th, 27th of July in sunny old Nowra in the and Shoalhaven. how do we find out more about the festival? At the Shoalhaven Readers and Writers Festival.com.au. Awesome. See you there, everyone. See you there, exactly. <laughs> we just want to give a big shout-out also to Leslie Gibbs, whose new book. Leslie is one of our um, presenters at the Australian Writers' Centre. She writes picture books as well as chapter books, the wonderful Fizz series, and her latest picture book, Searching for Cicadas, um, illustrated by Judy Watson, uh, is out, and it's awesome. I've I've read it. It looks it's, – it's such a great um, story about a, a young boy who goes out with – his grandfather searching for cicadas and you learn a lot about cicadas in the process I certainly it's did. a beautiful beautiful it looking book beautiful. absolutely stunning so big shout out to Leslie Gibbs check out searching for cicadas and apart from that um where do we find you online now you'll find me at allisontate.com a-l-l-i-s-o-n-t-a-i-t.com you will find me at Twitter on Twitter at at Al Tate A-L-T-A-I-T and you will find me on Facebook and Instagram at Alison Tate Writer and you Valerie where do we find you? You'll find me at Valerie Koo that's K-H-O-O on Twitter and Instagram and over at ValerieKoo.com and thanks for listening everyone and you look and I've mucked that up. <laughs> Are you kidding me? We got all the way into it that we far and you way. mucked it up. All right, we'll do that again. Thanks for listening, all of it? everyone. And we look forward to. <laughs> I've got the giggles now. Try we look forward again. to chatting to you again next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writerscentercomau slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writerscentercomau slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more.